Well, last couple weeks we have been in 1 Peter, and we've been going through each of those chapters, and we haven't been going through every single verse, so hopefully you have been reading along with us as we've been going through uh, this letter, because there are so many different important things for us in how we live out our faith together as a church, particularly in situations that are not necessarily all that favorable to us as Christians. So Peter is writing this letter out to Christians who are scattered all over the place, and they're living in the context of persecution. So people are not treating them well because of what they believe and because they are living out their discipleship in Jesus. And so Peter is saying, hey, this is how we live our lives in this type of environment. And so we've been talking about what it looks like to have a refined faith. And we've been talking about what it looks like to be living stones who are connected together and building up a spiritual house that is, that is praising, praising God. And all that can happen even when things aren't going well. Which, which helps, as we've talked about this and continue to talk about this letter, as Peter goes into talking about the context of suffering that sometimes we find ourselves in. So I don't ever say this, and I don't ever talk about my sermon title. This is like the first time I've ever done this since, since I've been here. But today's sermon title is just Suffering Well. And I don't know how often you think about that or think that's even possible. Maybe you think that that's just not even a thing that can, can happen. But this is exactly the topic that Peter engages in as we jump into 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning or your phone, go ahead and turn uh, to, uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to start in there. We all feel pain. I mean, that, that's something that's common throughout the human condition. All of us feel pain, but we all tolerate it differently. And we all experience it differently, and we all handle it differently. Um, From a medical standpoint, there are two different sides to pain. The pain that we have biologically, so I get cut, and receptors, nerve receptors go to my brain, and it tells me, you've been cut. Um, So there's that side of it where, hey, that's happened. And then then there's there's our emotional, um, psychological side to the pain. And so while one person might get a paper cut on their finger and think, oh man, that stinks, and it burns a little bit, and that's, that's, uh, that stinks, another person might get the same exact paper cut, and it, they might say, oh, it burns, it stings, but it also ruins my day, and, and I can't get past, past that, and, and this, is, this is the one thing that's going to stick out to me for, for the rest, rest of the day. Those who deal with chronic pain have a whole other experience and challenge, and according to the American Pain Foundation, that is more... Um, more prevalent than maybe we, we think. Man, managing pain and people's perceptions to their symptoms is a big challenge in a country. This is from the American Pain Foundation, where more than 76 million people report having pain lasting more than 24 hours. Uh, persistent pain is reported by 30% of adults aged 45 to 64. 25% of adults aged 20 to 44. I am the 25%. Uh, at least my knee is, um, 21% of adults aged 65 and older just feel pain constantly. And it is, turns into lost productivity. It t- turns into lost income. It's a $100 billion industry in, in our country. Um, pain is something that continues to affect us whether we recognize it or not. The biggest contributing factors, you know, from a health standpoint is age and healthiness and all those kinds of things. But um, the other aspect that affects us and how we deal with our pain and how we handle suffering is our, our spiritual reality as well. Pain is both a physical and emotional experience. 
For those that know, sometimes mental pain can be just as debilitating, if not more so, than physical pain in, in their lives. Just because you don't see someone in a cast doesn't mean they aren't hurting. Of course, you know, the classic contrast between pain tolerance is that between men and women. Like, who, who handles pain, pain better? We all know about the man cold, right? We, we know how, how that works, you know, that, that, can, be, that can be a debilitating uh, experience. Or sometimes there's that discussion between which is more painful. Is it childbirth or is it a kidney stone? You, you ever heard that? I don't think that's a wise discussion to get into, so we're, we're going to kind of ignore that and move, move past that. Um, I have to get blood drawn at least every six months or so to monitor my thyroid levels. Uh, it's just my thyroid doesn't work properly, and so that's one of the things that, that I have to do pretty regularly. And just because I have to get stuck regularly doesn't mean I've ever gotten used to it. I don't enjoy it at all. I don't know if anybody can, can appreciate that or be with me um, on that. When I sit down, I kind of have to put my head back and I look in the other direction, and I try my best just to breathe, relax, and not tense up through it. I mean, it's just not something I, I enjoy, and I really appreciate a good phlebotomist. I mean, that, that can't, be, can't be overstated or overappreciated. Um, then there's the pain, you know, there's the pain that we don't expect, and then there's, there's the pain that we plan for. And, and when I say that, it's, um, it's, again, how we think about our pain psychologically and how we prepare for it. You know, somebody comes up behind you and they pinch you on the back of the arm unexpectedly. That can be incredibly painful. It can last for a while, and we're like, what in the world? Why did you do that to me? That, that's awful. But then think about the, some of the games we played as kids, or at least some of us played as kids, maybe. You remember Bloody Knuckles? Like, I mean, like, this is fun for us. This is, this is a fun game. Like, we enjoy this. And, and the whole point is to inflict pain. Or Slaps. You remember the game? I play this with my kids. Not, they don't enjoy playing it very long. Um, but, you know, you hold your hand out, and then, you know, here, and you slap the person. If they, you know, jerk back three times, you get a free slap on them, that kind of stuff. I mean, those were, those were games. Or, or the Rug Burn game, right, um, where you take some of you, if you don't know, you just take somebody's arm, and you do this, I mean, with their consent, obviously. Um, and you, t well, we didn't as kids. That, that's a whole other thing, I guess. But you grab their arm and you twist their skin in opposite directions. And you just see who can, who can handle that. I mean, we had uh, no touch screens, no apps. You know, you had to find fun, you know, somewhere. So we just inflicted pain on each other. Um, you know, some of the, some of the things that uh, create suffering and pain for us are things that are good things and healthy things. You know, we go for a walk or a run on a hot and muggy day. We go lift weights. You know, some of the things that we do on purpose can be uncomfortable and painful, but we know, we know those things are good for us. We go through surgery and we go through rehab. It can be really tough, but we know that that is a good and healthy process in the long run. The point is this. We all suffer at some point in our life. We all feel pain. It's a universal part of the human experience. However, how we perceive our pain and how we go about dealing with it varies greatly. Sometimes, you know, people avoid their pain. Sometimes people try to ignore it. Some people try to deflect it. And some people deal with it head on. There's all kinds of different ways we deal with our pain. But the best way to deal with our pain is to address it. Address the cause, the effect, and the solution. And because all of this ties into our human experience as beings created in the image of God, we all need a godly approach to our pain and our suffering. And this is what Peter identifies in 1 Peter chapter 2. We suffer well when we endure our pain by doing what is right. And in a world that is broken, um, a world that is broken by sin, in a world with broken people who are broken by sin, us, doing what is right is not often very easy. And so Peter is encouraging the church to remember why we ought to remain faithful even when it's hard, even when it's painful, 
even when we're suffering. So here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled his, their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now, um, when, when I read this and I think about the context in which uh, Peter is talking about, you know, he's, he's talking about suffering and he's talking about pain and he's, he's saying, hey, there's a, there's a good way to, to experience this. And it, I can't help but think of a very specific scene in one of the Harry Potter movies. And I get, like, for some of you, you're like, oh, come on, who, like, who cares? Some of you are, like, big Harry Potter fans. Um, so our, our family is, so I'm, I'm kind of well-versed in, in Harry Potter. And there's this scene where um, the, the, they're reading tea leaves to try to, you know, um, know the future. And they think it's ridiculous, like, this, this is a stupid practice, and, and uh, they're doing this. And one of the characters says, he's reading, reading this cup, and he says, yeah. Uh, Harry's got, so I'm not going to do an accent. I, I, I don't have an accent for you this morning. Harry's got sort of a wonky cross. That's trials and suffering. And, and then that there could be the sun, and that's happiness. So you're, you're going to suffer, but you're going to be happy about it. And, and I can't help but read this passage from, from Peter here, and he's saying, hey, you're, you're going to suffer. Like, it's just part of the human experience. It's going to happen, but you can be happy about it. Um, and, and maybe... Maybe he's saying that, but maybe he's not. Maybe there's something a little bit different uh, that he's saying. When Peter writes this, he's writing with examples of what we are uh, subject to versus what we subject ourselves to. All right? So if you read a little bit earlier in 1 Peter chapter 2 and a little bit later after, after these verses, he's using a couple very common situations that people found themselves in at that time. Uh, you'll note that, for example, right before these verses that Peter uses the example of, of slavery. Um, and he's talking about people who are either uh, have sold themselves into servanthood to pay off debt or, or they have been enslaved. And so they're serving within a household and they're in this in this situation in which they're, they're subject to this person who has control over, over their lives, but what are they doing character-wise? How are they interacting with this situation, and what does it look like? So when we find ourselves in these situations that, quite frankly, are wrong, Peter is not pro-slavery at all. There's nothing about that. I mean, thank, thank goodness for Christian abolitionists who have led the way through that, but that, that's kind of his point is what, what, are you, what are you doing and what are you suffering for? Like, are, are you suffering for, so in our context, in, in our lives, are we suffering because we're being a jerk? Or are we suffering because we're living exactly how God has called us to live? Like, are, are we suffering because Jesus has told us to be loving and kind to one another, and to when somebody hurls insults at us, we don't respond in the same way? Are we, are we, are we doing that and experiencing our suffering that way? Or, you know, are we, are we going around and are we, you know, treating other people like garbage. You know, you know that, that's kind of thing. And then we're suffering as a result of that. 
And so Peter is saying, hey, there's, there's two different ways, there's two different ways to, to approach this. He uses a couple other examples at the beginning of 1 Peter 3 in how wives and husbands are subject to one another in different ways, but both with the same outcome in mind. And so in our relationships in such a key, key foundational part within the family, how do wives and husbands treat one another? We're subject to one another in different ways, sure, but what do we subject one another to with how we treat one another, how we interact with one another, and how we deal with suffering and pain? And in terms of, in terms of husbands and wives, for example, we can either deal with those things together on the same page, providing comfort and protection for each other and moving through that, or we can be causing it, you know, for one another. We've all heard the classic phrase, hurting people hurt people, and there is much truth to that, but it doesn't have to be the inevitable conclusion. So just because we hurt and just because we may suffer or we may feel pain, and I'm talking about physical, I'm talking about emotional, spiritual, whatever that, that may be in our lives, it doesn't mean that we have to pass that on to someone else. It can end with us. Jesus was hurt by humanity. I mean, that's the understatement of the year, right? However, his response was to provide the opportunity of salvation. Even knowing beforehand that some would reject him, he chose to suffer for all so that we might be reconciled to God. I know it's relatable for all of us to have times where we recognize that we are not the ones who are in control. Maybe we are subject to an authority above us, and as Peter says earlier in, in chapter 2, we absolutely should be. There are authorities that we are going to be uh, subject to, but we do have the choice in what we subject ourselves to and the consequences of what we've done wrong versus what we do that's right. And we are called to endure the pain of suffering by doing what is right. And listen, re responding to what is wrong with what is right may be painful sometimes, but it will always be good, every single time. And let me, let me continue to read Peter's authoritative words to the church as he continues in chapter 3. This is chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would ever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So we know that Peter is writing to a group of people who are being persecuted for, the faith, for their faith. So how do, we, how do we think about this in terms of today? In what ways do you see people speaking maliciously against your good behavior in Christ? Uh, what, we see, what we see happening in our world today, the cultural solution, the worldly solution for when that happens, when somebody's speaking out against us, the cultural solution for persecution is to amass power in order to control the opposition. 
And the church has engaged in this, even historically, when we talk about how we engage in things like politics or, or just, you know, um, our, our impact in the culture and world, world around us. So we, even, even the church um, in, in America, like we've participated in, in that approach where we've said, hey, well, maybe, maybe what we can do is, should we be engaged in those things? Absolutely. Absolutely. But maybe the solution is if we can, if we can just kind of get the right legislation in place, like that, that'll fix, that'll fix the, the problem of our culture. But, but that's, not, that's not how Jesus operates. And so while it's good for us to be involved in those kinds of things and approach it in, in a godly manner, the Christ-like solution for persecution is to be consistent in behaving like Jesus, who doesn't compromise his character for control. And hopefully, hopefully you can appreciate the, the difference there in approach. It's, it's not about what we engage in. It, it's about how we engage those, those things. Again, don't suffer for doing evil, right? Uh, and then you kind of deserve what you get. But, but suffer for doing, for doing good. Things aren't becoming easier for the church in our culture. Um, I, I, don't know, I don't know if that's something that you already recognize or have experienced or kind of know. But things are not becoming easier for the church. Not only is our culture moving on from biblically-based ideals, morals and ideals and ethics, um, we, our culture has kind of moved on from, from, from the church. Um, we, we also deal with, and this has always, always been the case throughout, throughout the church's history, we're also dealing with Christians behaving badly, right? Give, giving, us, you know, giving us a bad name. It's like we, we look at people and we, we hear them in the news and we're like, come on, like, that's, not, that's not how every church is or that's not how every Christian is. But that just happens. And those, that can make it that much harder to create opportunities to give others a reason for the hope that we have within us. But that's why it's all the more important for us to be faithful to God's kingdom and not to any other. No other kingdom should dictate our actions or attitudes outside of who God has called us to be. Um, and the more we are like Jesus, the more countercultural we become, and the more possibly we are likely to suffer because of it. But we're, we're suffering because we're doing good, because we are being holy as he is holy, because we're pursuing righteousness, and we can do so with a clear conscience. Listen, we, we all suffer. And at some point, we are going to experience pain in our lives. But let it be for pursuing the right things so that we might join Jesus in his approach to suffering and therefore join him in his peace despite the suffering we might face. Even if we are the last ones left on earth who, who are faithful, it would still be worth it because this world is not the end-all and be-all. There's more. And God, simply because of who he is, would still be worthy of our faithfulness even if we were the last ones left who were faithful. Jesus put that before everything else, and it has reshaped the condition of humanity and the world. Sometimes when we are in pain, it might seem like we are totally alone in that. Maybe we haven't told anybody about it. Maybe no one knows about it. Maybe uh, we just don't think anyone else can relate to our personal experience. And yet God is fully aware, and his will is fully restorative for us. Early on, and this is kind of prep for the next passage of Scripture we're going to read in 1 Peter chapter 3. Early on in Genesis 6, we see the condition of the world after the fall. Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden. Um, you know, the earth has been uh, populated to a certain degree. Humanity knows about God. Some have worshipped him, but they soon turn their attention to their own devices. And you can check this out in Genesis chapter 6 in the following chapters uh, on your own time if you want. And this leaves a small population of the earth at that time given over to violence and inhuman behavior. 
longer. People have just simply become consumed by their depravity and, and are therefore <clears throat> acting and being inhuman. Uh, there was one man in his family, however, that had remained faithful, and that is Noah. And so some of you know, uh, oh, Noah, uh, he's the one with the Ten Commandments and was, was on the mountain. Oh, wait, wait, no, no, he's the, uh, that was Moses. Noah is the one with, with the, built the big, big box that floated in the, in the water, right, with all the animals. Um, we read that story, and we think about this flood that God sends that, that, uh, that Noah you know, and his family have to build the ark for, and the animals come together, and, and it just, it's destructive. It's just this destructive force that wipes out humankind and animals alike, except for Noah and those on the boat with him. Um, and yet for Noah and his family, the flood meant something else. And Peter reframes this story for us in such a way that helps us to understand that though there might be suffering for doing good, it puts us in the place to experience God's restoration and resurrection for us. And so here's how Peter puts this. Chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. This is an interesting text and verse that's talked about. This is totally aside from the sermon um, that some people read as, uh, are confused by what, what this means, and is simply referring to the fact that God's Spirit was still at work, even in the days of Noah, was still at work and still preaching and still sharing his message through Noah and through his life. So this is not about, um, some people take this passage to mean that Jesus, um, after his death on the cross, went to hell and was preaching to people who were there, and that, that's just not, that's not what this text means. Um, so just a, just a little aside for those of you that heard that and who, who, uh, who know about that. Um, in it, so God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So this connection that Peter makes between the flood and baptism is, is just fascinating because, like, like I said, when we read the story of Noah and the flood, the flood is a destructive force. I mean, it's, it's, it's destroying things, destroying people, it's destroying, it's destroying animals. However, it also matters what is being destroyed. And the, the parable, parallels between the two is that God washes away our inhumanity. God washes away our sin. God washes away the consequences of our pain and suffering from, from evil in our lives so that we might become those who are created in his image, who we were always created to be. Consequently, that, that's, that's why we talk about baptism. That's, that's why it's here in, in the text. That's why it's the most important tangible next step you can take in your faith in terms of saying yes to Jesus. It's not just fun, you know, to, to, jump, to jump in a pool of water. It symbolizes the most significant moment we can have in our lives, a clear conscience toward God. Things made right between us. There's a reason that everyone who is convinced and convicted of their sin and God's willingness to save us comes up out of the waters of baptism refreshed and renewed. Some of you remember that feeling 
and hold on to that because that is exactly the work that God is doing. He is refreshing and renewing us each day because that is the work of resurrection that he begins with Jesus. And the work of resurrection is difficult and sometimes it's, it's painful. Jesus gave his life as the first step, remember, as, as resurrection. That, that's, that's where it started. He was subject to God so that we wouldn't have to be subject to our sin. And so here, here's a couple things that I, I just wanna, I want us to keep in mind for when we suffer, because it's going to happen. There, there are going to be times when we suffer, when we are in pain. If you are suffering right now, the first thing that I can say is just don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. It's one of our rules here at Velocity. Don't do it alone. You might think that nobody else will understand. Um, you might think that nobody else will relate. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who have said, here's what's going on in my life, and, and I immediately think of someone else in the church and say, hey, this is where this person has been. Would you like to talk to them? I, um, it's not to say that somebody else has the exact same experience as you and can tell you all the answers and, and get you through that perfectly, um, but there's always somebody who's willing to walk with you through that thing. Make sure to talk to somebody in your small group about that. Get together and pray and talk. We're called to bear one another's, uh, another's burdens. Don't, no one stands alone. Don't choose to go it alone when you're suffering. Secondly, the approach to suffering. It's not because it's easy, but it's because it is good. Do what is right and good according to God in that suffering. Don't, don't go based on how you feel in that moment, because our feelings can, be, can just be liars in those moments. And sometimes we have that one friend you know, maybe that just kind of like, they're like, oh, yeah, you should, you should feel this way, and you, and you should, you know, instead of kind of helping, helping you out of that, like, make, make sure you're not listening to those things that, that keep you um, stuck in that suffering, but make sure you pursue the way forward out of that. It may be difficult. Let's be honest, it probably will be, because it's always easier to ignore things rather than deal with them head on. Um, but, but if we do ignore them, um, what ends up happening is it just gets us to a place where it becomes too painful to not uh, deal with it, and then we haven't developed any healthy habits along the way to deal with that thing. So may we do what is right and good according to God when we are suffering, when we are in pain. We don't control whether or not we experience pain, but we do have a say in what we do with it and what we allow God to do with it in our lives. May we choose to let God lead us and not our suffering lead us in our lives.